Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the For the Well of It podcast. I'm so happy to be back for yet another episode. We are rolling right along in season three. And today, my special guest is a buddy of mine, somebody who I have a professional partnership with that has developed into a friendship, and I am so happy to have her here. I'd like to welcome Alex Shaw to the show, probably my community members and followers, might uh, more widely know her as Alex Blagden. She's been recently married and her new married name is now Alex Shaw. Alex has been cooking for as long as she remembers, but she's also been an entrepreneur since the age of nine. By the age of 27, she's traveled across the world, training all over Europe, the US, Canada, and even as far as New Zealand and the Faroe Islands. Each destination and stop along the way developed into a cookery class for her culinary school, which is online, the Alder Cottage. Most are shocked by everything she's accomplished at such a young age, but she credits almost all of it to knowing what she's wanted to do her whole life. Once you know your path, it's just a matter of following it. Welcome, Alex. Hello. (laughs) I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. I can't believe we haven't done this before now. I know. I'm so stoked to be here. So happy. So I, this is the whole reason why I wanted to have you on the show, because I have so much respect and admiration for you on so many different levels, but the biggest thing when I met you and we became connected, it's just, I can't believe the level of clarity you have at your age. Now you're not, you're, you're not a baby, but you you are younger than me. But the fact that you've known what you wanted to do for so long, my goodness, I've had a thousand different jobs, Alex. (laughs) I did not find my thing until the last few years. So it's just so exciting for me to, um, first of all, hear this story from the beginning firsthand today and to share it with all of our listeners. So let's, before we start, let's talk a little bit about how you and I became connected. We were both at the same time ambassadors for Lululemon. And I love that our St. John's store here at the Lululemon store here in St. John's chooses ambassadors based on different things. And it's not necessarily based on fitness. They like to showcase a variety of people in our community that have great contributions to the community and do pretty cool things. And you, your ambassadorship was based around your company, the Alder Cottage, right? Yeah, it was one of the first ever community focused ones. Now, They don't actually do the community ones right now in St. John's. It was kind of a trial run, but I mean, listen, I was happy to to be the the test bunny for it and I had a great time. Yeah, that was so cool. I think you were, because these ambassadorships are two years and you were one year in when I came on for my two years. So we kind of had, you kind of helped me get acquainted. And do you remember that day we went for a run? (laughs) That one day. I do. (laughs) And I knew for so long you were going to be an ambassador and I wanted to tell you, but it was a lot. But what? I wasn't allowed. You weren't allowed. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Oh, that was such a great day when I found out I was going to be an ambassador. But you and I were both training for, during the pandemic, training for the virtual Seawees Half Marathon, which is a Lululemon event that went virtual during the pandemic. And one day we said, let's meet up for a run. What do you have to run this week? Oh, 18 kilometers. What do you have to run this week? Okay, let's meet up. And then what happened? We ran in um, the pouring rain, like torrential. It was, what, like four degrees outside. And I think both of us were hoping that the other person was going to cancel. And yes. and we didn't. And we ran, I think it was, yeah, it was 18 kilometers in the pouring, 
pouring rain, but we did it. We did it. And we had a lot of fun along the way. I feel like we really, that was a real character building run. We really got to know each other. I swear my clothing, I swear I weighed 10 pounds more when we were done that run from the water that I had soaked up along the way. And before we met that morning, I remember sending you a message and being like, are we doing this? And then you didn't answer because you were driving. And then I was like, oh my God, she's really not going to bail. How do I get out of this? I don't want to do this. Anyways, we both showed up and did the thing. Your next 18K, then you felt like a feather because you didn't have 10 pounds of water. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's kind of how it started for us. And then during the pandemic, your online cookery school blew up and Whalen Wellness really grew and we got connected and we decided, hey, listen, cooking and learning your way around the kitchen and building food relationships is a very, very big part of what we do at Whalen Wellness. Therefore, you are the perfect partnership and you were one of my earliest partnerships. And we still continue that every four weeks we do a cooking class with you. And I love, love, love If for anybody out there hasn't tried online cooking school where you can just do it from your own home, man, you're missing out. You got to check out what Alex does because I think I've pretty much done all of your courses with the exception of the brand new ones you've launched. So Uh, tell me about the Alder Cottage first. Let's start from there. Tell me about how that developed and how that's been going. Well, the Alder Cottage has had many names. Um, It started with a culinary adventure that focused on a lot of in-person catering and then some cookery classes that were actually done through a company that used to be called Cod Sounds with my cousin Lori. And then over time, all of my travel started intertwining with both of those events. So long, I want to say five years where none of my closest friends even knew when I was going to be in the country, let alone the province. I would come home and be home for three weeks. And then within 48 hours, have a job in France and have a red eye to Toronto (laughs) to get a visa for the UK because it was a UK French company. And then I was gone for six months to France within the next like three days. Um, so it was, it was definitely a model that was international since day one. My, my first international experience was culinary school itself in Ireland. So it was a great launching point. And I actually started doing private dinners the day I got home from culinary school. So it's been almost 10 years of that and about 10 years of those cookery classes. And then the Alder Cottage developed actually kind of intertwining with our foraging tours. So Alder is a very invasive species. It's all over kind of the world, really. Definitely Newfoundland. And it grows everywhere. And if you cut it down, it grows back super quick. And it's very versatile and can be used in a million different ways. And that's how we view our business. So even if, you know, you kind of cut us down a little bit, we're going to pop back up in uh, in full-fledged, kind of a little bit brighter and a little bit stronger. It might irritate some people, but if you know how to use us, then you'll love it. And the company itself became a approachable kind of perspective to the kitchen. So a lot of people have viewed food in general as um, an obligation because you have to eat, but a stress and something that was very scientific and I really wanted to remove that intimidation and replace it with 
pure just joy and the space to make mistakes because that's the only way to learn in a kitchen. I love that. And you've definitely done that for me personally, because I am somebody who's made the same few dishes that I grew up with forever and ever and ever. And like, my goodness, since I've connected with you making pasta from scratch, making my own pickles, making my own tortilla wraps, like there's like making tuna tartare and beef tartare and things that I would never even dream of coming out of my kitchens. Amazing. So let's take it back to little baby Alex, little, little young, young girl, Alex. When did you know, like, when did this start for you? When did you first start experimenting in the kitchen? And when did you know that this is it? This is your life's mission? Always. I know that sounds weird, but yeah. um, even like my youngest memories are me doing bake sales with like bowls of chips at the end of my driveway <laughs> and me out in the garden in the fall when all the needles would fall off the trees. I would get so excited because I could make my own soup outside with all of the needles of the trees <sighs> and I had more ingredients to work with. Uh, I wasn't allowed to use the real kitchen yet. I was like four maybe. <laughs> and then I started doing, um, my easy bake oven adventures. That was like a big deal for me. That's all I ever wanted was to cook with a light bulb. And I took it very serious. And then, cause once again, not old enough to use the stove yet. And then when I was, I think it was eight years old and I remember it. I remember the house. I remember the kitchen. Um, it was really, really tiny kitchen. And I remember looking in my fridge and we had the strangest ingredients. I think we were getting ready to move. Like we had apples and eggs and spam and some kind of cheese. I don't even remember the brand. And I made my, uh, my first ever omelet. And I had this little cookbook. I still have it. It's like cooking for kids. And it was all about omelets and it was a free for all. So I took that to heart and made this apple spam cheesy omelet thing. And my mom, bless her, used to pretend to eat all my food, <laughs> unless it was the easy bake oven. And she went into this one, of course, kind of like, I guess I have to try it, but this looks weird. And she ate it and she loved it because now that I'm trained, I know it's sweet with the apples and salty with the spam. And, you know, of course, cheese makes everything better. <laughs> and I was so inspired that these ingredients that makes no sense to me could create something so special. And, uh, and then kind of just took it from there. I started taking on family dinners by the time I was uh, about nine or 10, my mom went back to university and I have two older siblings, but I took on family suppers and they were a bit weird sometimes. And I started my cheesecake business at nine because I wanted to learn about cheesecakes and I couldn't afford to buy all the ingredients. Um, so I figured if I sold them for the amount that it cost to make them, and uh, that way I could continue my learning experience on somebody else's dime. But I mean, to make a cheesecake was $24 and I was charging yeah. like 20 or 22 and I was losing money every week. But I, I remember I had to take a day off school because I was backed up on orders and my mom cheesecake was business at nine years old, Alex, what did that look like? Like, how did, how did that happen? How many orders? How did you manage that? Tell me about the logistics of a cheesecake business at nine years old. It started with family, of course, yeah. and friends of family. And I made vanilla and I made chocolate and I made Oreo 
And I started dipping my toes into strawberry. Like that was a big one for me. Um, and then I just got too overwhelmed. Like it got to the point that I'm not even joking. There was too many orders and I couldn't keep up. <laughs> and I was having to cut school and I was running out of money because I was charging 20, not $24. And I was like, they, they look a bit weird, but they did it in retrospect, you know, they were still, they were pretty good cheesecakes, but I made so many that I actually didn't make cheesecakes for like five or six years afterwards. Cause I was so sick of them. Um, so that was pretty much it. Someone would make an order and I would have like 24 to 48 hours to pump it out for them. And, uh, and you know, just losing money. But nine years old, my goodness, I'm just, I'm just putting myself there because Max is seven. <laughs> so in two years, he could be running a cheesecake business. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. Because- <laughs> and what happened from there? So cheesecake was the gateway product. What happened from there? It was. So cheesecake was definitely the gateway. I started doing baking competitions within the family. Um, my winning, my winning dessert for Halloween one years was graveyard pie, I think it was called. It was like a, like a square pan with chocolate pudding on the bottom and Oreo crumb and then things coming out of like a graveyard. Nice. Uh, people can see that. So I'm being theatrical with my hands to show the things <laughs> coming out. And, um, and then after that, I got a taste for the competition. I remember. And then of course I started scouting for my restaurant. So I worked illegally at a diner. Uh, it used to be called Cody's Eatery. If Mrs. Cody ever hears this, please sell me your building. I've been trying to buy it for ever since I was. Where is the building? It's in Torbay and it's been unoperative. Like un, no one's been in it using it. It's still preserved as a diner for the past over 10 years. Since I was in junior high, they shut down. I hope Um, somebody listening has a connection to Mrs. Cody and Torbay. Please, please, please send me a message if you do. Tell me about it. So I used to, we live next door. So I used to sneak in the back door um, and I wanted to learn how to cook at a restaurant. And I'm trying to think about my age. I was still in elementary school and I would cut the potatoes and I would roll the cutlery. And I would help out. I wasn't allowed to use the deep fryers because I was a child. And the potato cutters were like just a big machine. Um, and in return, I would get as much free food as I could possibly want. So like soft serves, poutines, rock and roll. And the owner would come in and I had to hide in the bathroom. And then when we moved, they sat down the staff and told them that things were falling behind in the restaurant and that things were getting slack, like the rolling of the cutlery. Because Are I you serious? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Her name was Cheryl. She took me in. Uh, so once I, once I got, I got the taste for the industry, I started thinking about my own restaurant. So of course I went to my grandparents and their big wall of China and asked if in their will, I could have all of their China for my restaurant. Cause I was a child. And now that I'm older, she keeps on reminding me like, when I die, all of my stuff is yours. And I'm like, grandma, stop. I want it. So morbid. Um, I know. I was, I was just so focused. I was like so driven. I was like, I need to get ahead of this. Uh, and then I started, my my cousin was a chef in BC. So every time he'd come home, um, he taught me foil rack cooking on the barbecue. He taught me that when I was still in elementary school, um, how to like make your veggie foils and mm-hmm. cook things as you're grilling things. Um, and then my cousin, Lori used to give me tours of blue on water when she worked there. Uh-huh. Oh my God, this was almost 20 years ago, like all of this happened so young. Like when I found out what I wanted to do, I was just jumped on it. So 
she started taking me in and showing me small things. And then I started doing bake sales uh, in high school. I wanted to go to Fiji and do that big, you go in and um, help build schools and stuff your first year of graduation. So I did bake sales to go do that. And then I did bake sales for all the Christmas things in school to raise money for families that uh, you know didn't have much for Christmas. So I would take that on. And then as time developed, my cousin sat me down and uh, told me that if I wanted to be a chef, because I was so passionate to never do it. Uh, Really? Yeah. She said, uh, the restaurant industry does nothing but suck your soul and kill your passion. And I would not wish it upon anybody. If you really love what you should do, you should find a different career. Um, and I understand it because 10 years ago, the industry was still very old fashioned, very Mm -hmm. hard, Mm -hmm. very low pay. And you never wanted to be the person to convince somebody to go and do it. You never wanted to be the reason why they started. Right. Um, you need to be ambitious enough to want it bad enough, because if you don't, if you didn't want it bad enough back then, it wasn't worth getting into. Right. Um. you could truly, when I started working in the industry, you could make more working as a supervisor at McDonald's, like, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you've really had to love bit of a thankless do. job. Yeah. So I, I, I took on law because I'm very competitive. So I, you know, great at arguing, love debate. <laughs> was like, I'll be a lawyer. That'll be something I'll do then. Um, so I did that for a minute and was in my psychology courses in university and dropped out because I was in looking recipes up. So I wrote my exams blind and just in case I ever decided I wanted to go back. Um, and then I took all the money that I raised to go to Fiji because I was meant to go that year and took my university scholarship. This is a scapegoat if anyone's ever looking for it. Um, if you get a university scholarship for you know your top three in school or whatever ones you get, if you go to university for a semester, you can take the rest in cash and apply it elsewhere. So I went for one semester, took the remaining balance, all of my Fiji money I gave to my friend who was going to Fiji. And uh, I went to culinary school that spring instead. Oh my in goodness. Ireland. So you were 18 years old at this point? I was, I was eight, I was 18. So when I dropped out, I called my mom and said, you know, I'm standing in the, in the library at Mun. Um, I was, I was doing great. Like I, I love education. So I was doing well. It was just looking up recipes and called her and said, you know, I'm, I'm going to drop out. I'm going to pursue culinary. And she said, Oh, thank God I'm on the way. Did she? Oh, that's so supportive. I could cry. That's amazing. I mean, she took me out of elementary school to make cheesecakes. Uh, (laughs) I'm bored. So she, uh, she took me then to my cousin's house again, to Lori's house. And, uh, I sat down on her island and said, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be a chef. And she said, you're a hundred percent serious. And you know, the consequences. And I said, I do. And she said, sensational. I can't wait. Let's go. Aww. And then she took me under. So going in, I, I of course dropped out in the middle uh, or finished up my fall semester, but culinary school for Holland college and George Brown with the top two schools in Canada. And they don't start until the fall, of course. So then I had to wait three quarters of a year to start, which for me, I'm so impatient. It wasn't, wasn't possible. So 
I went out for a drive to kind of collect my thoughts. And by the time I came back, my mom and my nan have read about the school in a Jamie Oliver magazine. And it was uh, Ballymaloo. It was on a farm. It was three months intensive course where you milk cows and grow vegetables and all of your um, kind of theory work was on your own time. So it could be as intense as you want it to be. And it was kind of like something I'll do while I wait to go to culinary school. And that was in April. So I enrolled for that that night and uh, got accepted about a week later. And then I had six months or so to wait then before that even started. So I went and tried to get a job at a restaurant because I wanted to start culinary school with more of a professional experience under my belt. So I was 18 still. And I went to an old restaurant called The Reluctant Chef. It was back when it was the tiny one, not the big one. Yeah. It had like 30 something seats. It was a five course minimum fine dining, uh, chef's tasting, biweekly rotating restaurant. Mm -hmm. So I went in there. Lori had a connection with the owner. So she got me an interview. It was the dead of the winter. Nobody hires in the winter. And, you know, they said, well, we're not taking anybody on. And I offered to work for free. So I worked for free my, my about four days a week. Um, I want to say I worked like 30 hours a week for free for months, wow. for months on it. Wow. Uh, and I worked at, at second cup as well, um, as like a, a, a shift lead in the evenings to make my money. Um, and then I got as much education because for me it was free education. Yeah. And there was only three people in the kitchen at a time. So it was truly, really hands-on. Um, so I worked there until I went to culinary school. And then by the time I got to culinary school, it was, uh, I was still 18 years old. And my all of the women in my family, my mom, my aunt, my nan, and my sister brought me over. And then they left me there. They brought you, physically brought you to Europe, went with you, and then came on home. 18 years old, yeah. out in the big, bad world. Yeah, yeah, my- and it's funny because there nobody was, you know, concerned or or nobody was uh <laughs> like nervous to leave me over in Europe. I think they um I've always just been so independent mm-hmm. and so mature. And so driven. Yeah, I feel like you were 60 when you were 10. <laughs> so <laughs> I was. I yeah. was. I remember I remember drinking um my great grandmother. I mean, she she just passed in the past year. She was you know, 94, 96. And, uh, I remember she served me when I was like 11 baby duck, mm-hmm. that red sparkling wine. Cause she was just like, you just seem old enough. Oh, jeepers. <laughs> she gave me a sip of baby duck. She That's so like, funny. You are though. You're an old soul. Part of what I love about you. That's oh, amazing. Yeah. So, that's so the- off to Europe, Italy, was it for culinary school? Ireland. Ireland. Okay. Yeah. So if anybody ever goes over there, it's outside of Cork. Um, Cork is my favorite city of all time. And Ballymaloo is run by the Allens. So if you're, you know, somebody that wakes up at four in the morning, sometimes for hours on end, which a lot of people do, and you turn the TV on and it's like that cooking show back when there was like cable and not Netflix all the time. Yeah. And Rachel Allen, Rachel Allen was always on the TV. She was Irish and she was making something, usually baking. Yeah. Um, and that's the family that owned the school. It was the Allen. So Darina Allen, Rachel Allen, um, Rory O'Connell, all of that family owned this. And it was based off of their old family estate. So they had the Ballymaloo house, which did like 
high tea time and old school in, like English style service with like the dessert carts and like the cognac trays. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone dressed like they were like in the 1800s. Uh, and then the school itself was a hundred acres of organic farmland off down the road. So if anyone ever goes over there, you can go in and just have lunch there. You can stay at the Balamulu house. You can do weekend courses. You can do week-long courses. Um, the program itself was a really interesting model. We would go in in the mornings and you would have demonstrations all morning. And what you were learning in your demonstration, or sorry, you'd cook all morning. And then in the evenings, you'd have demonstration about what you needed to cook the next day. Mm. So it was like every night you were you had all night to write notes, prep, like prepare things, write your prep lists, um, and then start your day fresh. But the school itself was a zero waste program. They had no garbages. Wow. That's pretty cool. And because it's on a farm, I guess you're doing the whole, like as a chef in training, you're doing the whole cradle to grave, like the whole thing. You were. And as someone who was always entre- like an entrepreneur focused person, it, it was really geared towards um, the waste in restaurants and how to avoid it and the waste of food in general in the, in the world. So we had programs where everything was from nose to tail. We did all of our own butchering. Um, if you didn't, if you got there too early, there was no vegetables yet because nobody picked them. The mm-hmm. eggs weren't gathered yet. The milk wasn't milk from the cows. Uh, if a cow was born in the middle of the night and you heard it, the first person to get there got named after you. <laughs> um, we're talking like two in the morning, elbows flying, running down flights of stairs, trying to find this calf in the dark. Like everyone just gunning it That's to try so to get named. Cool. Such an interesting program. And there was people, so I was the youngest. uh, And then there was people in there that were in their 60s. Um, Some people were retired, pursuing old passions. Some people were food bloggers. Um, I was one of the few that became a chef. One of my classmates now works at Gordon Ramsay's Cookery School. Um, There's there's so, so many different avenues you can take with it. But uh, there there was zero waste. All of your citrus peels turned into marmalades and all of your uh, scraps turned into stocks and all of your shells went into the, to the gardens. And it was, oh, it was, it changed my entire outlook on, on one ingredient. Mm, that makes so much sense. Just based on my experience with the elder cottage, like you always share, you know, if we're using heavy cream for something, you say, well, with this leftover cream here, make some butter for tomorrow or whatever. You always share little, little tips like that to avoid the waste. And I love that. So after that, you did all that training when you were younger and then Alder Cottage, you told us at the beginning of this, it was kind of a thing that developed over time. Talk to me about the virtual space, about your opinion on that, like how that's, I don't know, have you been able to reach people, how that's expanded your ability to connect or what? Like, just talk to me about how it's developed into what it is today. Uh, So virtual is something... um, I think I'll always hold on to a big part of it is because when I was doing in-person classes, it was definitely a lot of entertainment. People really enjoyed the atmosphere of an in-person cooking class. And I always thought that they would gain more knowledge by being hands-on with me. But after being in a virtual space, I've actually realized that people are a lot more hands-on without me and people are repeating um, 
these classes on their own time. They are taking the skills they've learned with me and applying them to other ingredients. Like my school is not meant to be something you take forever. It should be something that you should eventually be able to graduate from and take all of your skills and then apply them to any recipe. But of course, always feel like you can always jump back in and join whenever you'd like. So I think that online for me, having the guests being kind of forced into doing it yourself, yeah. using your own equipment, buying, you, you need to figure out your grocery stores. Like ingredients are not, not international. They are, they are not the same. Um, people have no idea where to go look for things in their grocery stores. And that's a big part of it for me. And then of course, substitutions, uh, working around allergies, everyone's stoves are different. So but the in-person ones, people would come and do it with me. But then when they they think, well, I don't have Alex's stove. I don't have her special spatula, so I can't do it. And it was too intimidating. Whereas if they're in their own kitchen, then they are way more comfortable to do it on their own time, ways and ways down the road. Oh, that is like the best description because there's been times, like there was one of our recipes that we did and one of the ingredients was tahini. Am I saying that right? Tahini? Yeah. Yeah. I assumed that was a spice. I was over in the spice section looking for a spice, but it's sunflower seed paste. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. That's basically what it is. I, so it's in a jar, like peanut butter almost. I had no idea. So I have learned so much just based on that. And the, one of my favorite recipes that I've repeated a lot from you is the curry, like building curry from scratch instead of buying curry spice, you're buying, you're doing all the individual spices and building the flavors. And I thought that was a really rewarding kind of education experience. I love it. I love, I love the fact and I'm not, I mean, I'm not here to advertise your cooking school, but from personal perspective, I just love that I can figure out how to do these things at home. And, and, you know, I always say one of the big gifts that we got out of the pandemic was valuing our time, our space, um, learning to embrace moments of, um, experience. And that's what I have found through doing your classes. Just so, so good. Who, like who makes a noodle from scratch? Hello. I do now. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of the thing too, was all these things that people would have never ventured in on their own. Um, that people think that restaurant quality food means that our ingredients are different, that we're using way more salts and fats and sugars. And it's so not true. Uh, restaurant quality food just means that we know when to season. We know the temperatures at which to cook at. Mm -hmm. And we know how to respect an ingredient. And that's all that we're trying to teach people at its core. Yeah. And even like, especially given the world and the environment we're living in now with inflation and the cost of groceries, is just so absolutely bananas. And we want, we crave those culinary experiences and like joy and food and, and joy and sharing those moments with people. And like, for example, and I'm not dissing restaurants because I still love to go to a restaurant, but if tuna tartare on a menu, you get a little scoop of it for like 20 bucks. But when you make it at home, Alex, yes, it's pricey to go buy a tuna steak, but jeepers, I made a boatload of tuna tartare for 12 bucks, 15 bucks, like whatever that worked out to with my ingredients at home. It's mind blowing what you can experience yourself if you just, you know, take the learning as part of the experience. Yeah. I mean, like, like you just said, I mean, a tuna steak at home is six, $6 on average for one. Yeah. Um, that will 
usually feed about two to three people for a meal or for like a small snack, about six people. Um, and I mean, I, of course, the way that I, I view it now is if I'm going to a restaurant, I'm going for, um, for myself personally so that I can engage with the person across from me. Mm-hmm. And that's my reason for going to eat at restaurants now. And when I'm cooking at home with somebody, it's how I'm connecting with somebody. So yeah, I love that. It's a great way to, I, I find sometimes when I'm just sitting across from somebody, whether it's out for a coffee or just sitting down, having a chat with them, I find that I have a very hard time getting out of my head because we're just staring at each other. Mm-hmm. But if I'm busy with my hands and we're doing something together, that could be out for a walk. It could be, um, you know, in the kitchen, it could be, you know, doing any kind of real activity. I find that the conversation comes so much more naturally with me. Yeah. So anytime I have family and friends over, the first thing I do is say, well, let's get in the kitchen and um, let's make a snack or let's do something together. And, you know, uh, that that connection with with food in itself and and learning how things are made and and appreciating that process mm-hmm. it will change your entire outlook on food in general yeah those are some magic moments like i always say that one of the biggest pitfalls or problems with the way that we've been conditioned around food and diet and that kind of stuff the biggest problem is that it takes for granted, like these diet plans that put you on a cookie cutter, eat, eat this and only this all the time. It, 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 it doesn't take into consideration that food is emotional and it should be, it is, it's going to be, it's part of our experiences. We celebrate with food. We mourn with food. We share moments over food and who wants to get rid of that out of their lives? Not me. <laughs> not no, me. absolutely not. No. And, and like I said, you know, that, that stress that comes with cooking, so many people feel that because they don't know what to make mm-hmm. because they don't know where to start. Yeah. And also because a lot of the times people's experiences with cooking and cookbooks, um, I hate to tell the world this, but recipes are not universal. Mine no. aren't. None are. Yeah. Not, not one recipe is universal. I mean, um, when it comes to humidity, moisture, density, size, all of these things, weight measurements, um, you know, cup measurements aren't even universal, you know, U S cups and your European cups are different sizes. <laughs> People don't know that. Yeah. So you need to, you need to be okay to, um, manipulate a recipe and play around with it and be okay. If it's a flop every now and then. Right. Let it's okay to be creative and it's not the best thing you ever had. So what, um, like in building your online cookery school, have you been able to reach people like well outside of Newfoundland and Labrador? How's that gone for you? Absolutely. I mean, we are, we're a hundred percent international. So we have people in Germany and Cayman mm-hmm. Islands and New Zealand and all over the world that partake. And the most interesting part is that it's all through word of mouth. Um, so, so good. we've had, yeah, I mean, for example, we had someone for a, a foraging walk years ago and he ended up working for Microsoft and we did global training with the Microsoft team for team building. Wow. So we would do like their European team. We would do their, um, their Indian team that we would do like their North American team. Um, the other side of it too, is a lot of corporate businesses that were doing, uh, appreciation all across Canada for their investors during COVID would have us on because they heard about my class through 
someone here in Newfoundland that they were investing with and mm-hmm. um, through that growth. Or, you know, someone said to me, I think it was Halifax that sent us an email and said, I was just out for a walk and I ran into somebody down the street and they told me about your classes. How does it work? So things like that, like that organic and natural growth through people gifting each other these experiences. I mean, you know, if you have family members over in Australia and there's no way they're coming home for Christmas dinner every single year. Mm -hmm. So something that people have done is like a private class with me to do Christmas baking uh, with their family all over the world. And they get to kind of connect in that way instead. It is such a unique um, gift idea because it is that it's not cooking lessons. It's not like you have a human reading a cookbook to you. Like it is, you provide a real experience and it does take out the intimidation factor. And it is really empowering to understand that, okay, my pasta is a little bit dry because my eggs were a little bit smaller. Therefore, I just need to add another egg or another egg yolk and we're good to go. Like it's the things that you learn are things that are transferable skills. And again, to me, it's helped. I've, I worked really, really hard in healing foods, you know, stresses and anxieties and food trauma and body image issues. And like this piece of learning to cook with you and not being afraid to cook with cream sometimes, or afraid to fry the thing in the oil. It's like, helping. It builds confidence. It builds, you know, strong and healthy food relationships that we all should have that level of food freedom. I love that. Yeah. And you know, it's easier. It's definitely easier said than done. I mean, I've been very challenging for a lot of people to believe as being a chef for so long, but I mean, I went down that road myself when I was, you know, younger and, um, it's, it's your whole mindset and it's, it's something I always, have been wrapping my head around it's nothing that's ever going to go away for you it's something that you need to learn to live with Mm -hmm. and something you need to learn how to um change the narrative about you know so absolutely take a little bit of power back at 100 percent. and food like people reading the back of food labels is my biggest pet peeve i went over to uh when i lived over in europe I remember someone saying to me one day, um, I think I read out a calorie or something. I was like, I was still learning. Mm-hmm. And they said, to me, I'll never understand why you're counting the energy you put in your body. Yeah. Cause that's what a calorie is. It's just a measurement of energy. It's not a Disney villain. <laughs> no. And that was when I was 18 and it wasn't that I yeah. was like, and then I like took a step back and, you know, it made me really think about when it comes to food in general, you're fueling your body mm-hmm. and your body needs things to survive. Um, it needs salt. It needs fats. It needs carbohydrates. It needs all of these ingredients. And you need to stop thinking about it so much because there's no algorithm for you. There's no guide right. for you. The yeah. evidence is so different. You just need to listen to your body and, you know, my sister's dairy intolerance. So guess what? Cream does not feel good for her. Right. So yeah. Not yeah. Uh, and it, it's all about your body. Well, red meat is not their friend mm-hmm. and that's okay. But if you read a chart, it says you should eat red meat. So does that mean you're going to eat it now, even though it hurts you? Right. It goes both ways. <laughs> It's very individual. And I always say that food shouldn't carry guilt unless, I don't know, you stole it or something. <laughs> then maybe and if you're, then, if you're dining and dashing, maybe you should feel a little guilt. <laughs> yeah. And then sometimes you need to ask yourself, you know, 
if you are taking the food, what's your reason why? Yeah. You know, if you are in a situation, you're at your grandmother's house, there's extra cookies on the table and you just got to run. Sometimes you got to do it. It's all okay. Or your kids fries. I mean, or the mom texts on the Reese's peanut butter cups at Halloween. It's just, it's a thing. It's a thing. Trust the process. <laughs> mom used to, every time I had a sandwich, mom used to be like, can I, can I have a bite? I'd be like, mom, but like, but yours aren't bites. She was like, I've earned the mom bite. And she would like take a quarter of the sandwich and classic because not with sandwiches, but you know what I did for years? I've stopped doing this because they're teenagers that are bigger than me and I'm afraid they're going to eat me soon. But I always, if I would get my kids like a cookie or a muffin or something like that out on the run from Tim Hortons, I would not give it to them without a bite out of it. Like (laughs) unless there was a bite out of it. Like I always took a bite, put it back in the bag and then just sat and giggled while they discovered that. (laughs) But I've stopped doing that. Maybe I got to pick it up again with Max for a few years. See how that goes. What is your, that's just how they come. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's the rule. It's, it's mom text. Um, in, in your online school, what is, what would you say is the most popular on demand thing available up there? What is, or course, what is something that you think is the greatest hit? I I thought so. (laughs) I thought so. I keep on thinking people are going to get sick of it soon. And I hope they don't because like, I'm, I'm genuinely invested for life. I think, um, on the passive train. And people are just not over it. I've offered, I think, a total of um, eight, 20, 24 or 30 pasta classes in the past couple of years. Uh, and that's just like our, our like programs. That's not including any private classes. That's just public classes. And people, like they even said to me the other day, I put up a post or, or like a question on Instagram and said, you know, any pasta questions? And someone said, you know, are you going to do any more pasta classes or courses? And I said, do you want more? And everyone said, always I did, you know, it's funny because I did your, one of your first full courses, I think it was eight weeks and the very for it's a buildable course that teaches you like different ways to do noodles and then different sauces or whatever. But the first, I think it's the first class in that course was egg noodles in an oil sauce. That is our staple around here. Like we love that one, that basic, basic one. That's a crowd pleaser in my house. We love that so much. Yeah. We're learning too. You know, I'm never going to stop learning. That is people always said to me, what do I love the most about, you know, working in culinary? It's that my education will never end. No, ever. Yeah. Never. Somebody's doing something different somewhere that I can learn. I feel that way too, with what I do. I, I just love always finding new ways to challenge the body and the mind. I, I totally feel you there. What's, what's, what's new or what's coming up for the Alder cottage? What's next? I can't tell you. It's, it's secret. I got that question like a week ago. I was interviewed last week for Best Health Magazine. And I was like, I'm working on a couple of big things. And they were like, like what? And I was like, I shouldn't have brought it up because I can't tell you. <laughs> I can't say anything. No. Yet. What's um, the latest thing? Can't... Can't, what's the newest thing that's already released that you can tell us then? What What's what's new on the menu on the cookery school? So we just launched the four, the, the five week classes for, um, the next online series that are all based off of my favorite street foods around the world. So we got Shake Shacks in there. So I went to the original Shake Shack in New York just to see what it was like. Um, the original was a a little cart, but they replaced the cart with like a little building outside. Um, we're doing calzones, like folded pizzas. 
Cause you know what, like eating a pizza when you walk is good and all, but sometimes it slips off and right. you just got to fold it over. So <laughs> calzones are easier. Um, and we're doing, what else are we, I'm trying to think I'm blanking my dumplings, but homemade dumpling wrappers. And the reason why we're doing homemade dumpling wrappers is because we've done a dumpling class before and a student reached out and said, oh. um, I've done my own wrappers before. They're not that challenging, but I'd like to do better. Can you cover that? So I said, oh, I've never had any intention in my entire life of making dumpling wrappers. They're so cheap at the store. They're so easy to pick up. And they're like, they're so authentic. And then I made my own. And now I'm like, I'll never buy a dumpling wrapper again. Amazing. Uh, they're <laughs> so it. easy to make. It's hilarious. Uh, and then we're also doing pulled pork uh, tacos with um, different types of tortilla shells this time. And then just like all day slow braised pork. Oh, goodness gracious. Yeah. Yummy, yummy, yummy. I got to get on these. Um, and I also, this is a good time for me to share. We always do something special in December together. Um, in our Whalen Wellness community, every December, I do like a version of Jill's favorite things. Remember Oprah's favorite things? Well, not to compare myself to Oprah, but I like to give a bunch of extras and bonuses to the membership in December. And it's a really good way for our community to be together. So I'm going to drop the bomb right here, right now. Your class with us in December, we are making. What are we doing? <laughs> Marshmallows and mulled wine. Yes, I do know that. Homemade marshmallows are a big deal for me. They're a great, great Christmas gift. A hot taco with a homemade marshmallow um, is the best wait. because you can shape, you can shape the marshmallow to fit on the top of your favorite mug. Right. It's like, like I, right. Like I'm. This is why I wore this sweater for this conversation today. This is last year's holiday sweater. But I cannot wait. My kids are marshmallow monsters, and they love hot chocolate. I can't wait to figure this out. This is going to be so cool. It's, it's absolutely the best. Um, Jill, have we done hot chocolate together yet? No. Okay. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll slap that in there too. Maybe we'll stick that in there too, just for fun. (laughs) Slap that in there. Yeah. Mulled wine for the adults and then hot chocolate for the kids. Um, I think that's a a great call. Uh, and yeah, mulled wine is something I took back home from the Alps of France where I worked. Mulled wine was like, just staple in life. It's a hug for the soul. Never had um, it. Second to oh my God. So good. So excited. So good. So what's, uh, what's the, what's the ultimate dream? What's the end game goal for Alder Cottage? Would you be able to say something or, or would you just say more of the same, continue doing what you're doing? All I can say is that my end goal dream is, well, what's coming up. So (gasps) you're kidding me. I think I may have a guess as to what this is. I'm so excited to hear that. That is awesome. We will stand by, we will follow along and stand by and cheer you on every step of the way you, somebody who can recognize their place and their goals and their dreams at four years old deserves nothing but success. And that's what I see in you. And man, the future's bright. There's no limits for you. Uh, and you know what, if uh, one thing I'll definitely say is if you are somebody that knows your passions and dreams since you were four years old and you get 34 years old and you want to change that, Absolutely. that's also okay. Because it's one thing that I have found knowing what I wanted to do for a very long time. I'm not changing what I'm doing, um, but it's one thing I've had a lot of conversation with professionally in my life. If I was to ever change that and I'm, you know, I'm totally okay with it if it ever does change, but 
knowing knowing what you want to do is a, is a blessing and it really is and when you go for fine, I just got to follow it, follow it until your path comes to an end. I love that. And I will add to that as somebody who did that, but at a much older age than you, uh, have, be brave enough to do so. Have courage to do so. Don't worry about what other people will think or say, just be brave and true to your own values and go get it. Go, go take what's yours. What a great chat. This was so insightful. I can't wait for people to hear this, Alex. So tell us, how can people connect with you? What's the best way to follow along with the Alder Cottage Adventures? Uh, there's two ways. So the Alder Cottage Canada, 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 Canada. <laughs> uh, definitely on Instagram is one way. Uh, and the other way is to subscribe on our website, which is just thealdercottage.com. If we're ever doing anything super exciting, we'll always send out an email to our subscribers. They're not very frequent and they're not consistent, but they're there. They're there when something's happening, when something's hot. Amazing. Yes. Thank you so much for this today, Alex. I appreciate you always. I'm so glad we have this partnership with Whalen Wellness and the Elder Cottage, and I will follow everything you do forevermore. Thanks for being here. Thank you for listening to our podcast again today. If you enjoyed today's episode, remember that sharing is caring. Please share this episode on your favorite social media platform. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a positive rating and review. It goes a long way for the podcast over here. Thank you for listening. I promise to keep sharing the inspiration and keep things real for the well of it. <laughs> <laughs>